people-first companies understand that employees are their most valuable asset. These forward-thinking companies treat all of their people practices, especially hiring, as strategic rather than administrative functions. I'm Donald Knight, Chief People Officer at Greenhouse, and this is People First, a podcast celebrating the work of leaders dedicated to building people-first cultures. Today, I'm joined by two amazing leaders known for their commitment to building a people-first culture. Lars Menz, CHRO at Mercedes-Benz North America, and Steve Ertzman, founder and CEO at Shamrock Prosthetics. In this episode, we'll talk about the importance of building trust and care between leaders and employees. Lars and Steve also share their personal journeys and how experiences in their lives outside of work have made them more effective leaders. Please welcome Lars Menz and Steve Ertzman. All right, I'm super excited about this episode of the People First Podcast. I'm going to ask both of you just to say your name, what pronouns you go by, what do you do for creating impact in your occupation or career, and uh, what company you're with. Last but certainly not least, what is your favorite flavor of ice cream? So I'm Lars Menz. I'm the chief uh, HR officer for Mercedes-Benz North America. Uh, I go by he, him, and his. Uh, favorite ice cream. That's a tough one. I can go butter pecan, rum raisin. Nice. I think the one I really love, those mint chocolate chip. Okay. That is, especially if you heat it. If you heat if it. Heat yes. It. You, wow. need the, you need the chocolate chip to melt. He didn't ask that. I don't. never he, heard he that either. That. Yeah. Heat the Lars ice cream. always throws something in. Always. <laughs> and eat it like a soup. Oh, oh now you lost me. Yeah. Now you lost me. <laughs> I am uh, Steve Ertzman. I'm the founder and CEO of Shamrock Prosthetics. Go by he, his. In my business, we're helping people, you know, reinvent themselves is what we say at Shamrock. But you're, you're losing an arm, you're losing a leg, you're losing a finger. And just even that notion um, has people at it, their ultimate worst. Our job, my job, and, and, and my team's job is to get that person both mentally and physically back. So it's a challenge every day. But that's what drives me and that's what drives all of us at Shamrock. The ice cream question, from serious to now fun, man, I'm going to go with, can I go with a sorbet? You could, yeah, yeah. if that's your thing. Yeah, man, I, I, I don't like drinking soup for ice cream, <laughs> you know, but I uh, love Lars to death, but I would probably go in the kind of sorbet and, you know, good lemon sorbet. There you go. You know, something like that. Tis the season, right? As it's not really ice cream. But, but I'm not fit okay. like you guys, so I, that's why I got to stay away from that kind of stuff. <laughs> this guy. It's like fruit bunch. I mean, it's <laughs> frozen fruit bunch. <laughs> you know, he's gearing up for the season, right? He's getting a little warmer here in Atlanta. When you think about people first, I'll start with you, Steve. Like, when you think about people first, like, so many people have different definitions of what that even means. As an entrepreneur, what does that, what does that mean for you and your business at Shamrock? Culture. People influence culture. Culture influences people. And I, I think it's a daily task to work on culture and to work with um, you know, all of our teammates. I'm a sports guy. They're not employees. They're teammates. And uh, I might be the coach, but it, it's, it's something where my company will not exist without the teammates that I have. And you know, sometimes the uh, got to have some difficult conversations, just like any coach. But a coach is a motivator, disciplinarian. Um, but 
recognizes the right talent to get the most out of you know each employee or each teammate. So from a people first standpoint is they make it what Shamrock is. It's it, sure I'm the one signing the check, but it's each employee getting the right people, but also motivating them to understand the greater challenge that we have. And that is to take a person at their worst day that's going through some type of accident and bring them to light in a, in a kind of reinvented or, or new normal state. Yeah. This idea of teammates, I think totally resonates now, right? Like the days where we call people staff, the condescending tones that may have came along with that. I think those days are gone. Like Lars, what does that mean for you over there at Mercedes? What does people first mean for you all? In keeping with the sports analogy, I think one of the best sporting events is the four by 100 meter relay. And the most important thing is the baton. But there are four individuals that get the baton around the track. And each of those individuals typically have, they bring to the table their own unique um, talent, their own, they come from a different walk of life, but they're all there for one objective. And that's to get that baton around the track the fastest they possibly can. And when you think of the technical aspect of, of the sport, it is as technical as everything else, largely because of the speed you have to do everything at. And I, and I just think of our ability at, at Mercedes to often put people first with the greatest amount of complexity, the swiftest amount of change, um, at times when perhaps we don't always get it right because we didn't think about the other person, but the opportunity to actually reset it, the willingness to reset and say, you know what, we didn't, we didn't get that right. And to acknowledge that there's someone on the other end of that baton, pass, the passing of that baton. And I just think if you, if you keep that in mind, you keep the integrity about what you're trying to do, um, I would also say too, it's, it's about decency. Every individual that I sit across that I do business with is another individual that wants the same thing that I want. And if you just strip that down, no, they don't, Perhaps they don't have the same career goals, they don't have the same business objectives that I do, but they do want what I want. They desire, they love, they hurt, they feel pain. That, that individual actually has the same level of, of uh, conviction about whatever it is that they want. And it's about us bringing that into harmony. And that, to me, that starts first with looking at that person as another human being, but also approaching them with, with a level of decency. Yeah. No, I totally agree with you. I think that there are experiences in the past that help lead us towards that definition though, right? Like like for me, when I think about people first, my parents were in the military. So, you know, you live in six states, three countries before the age of 14. That exposure to so many different cultures and to so many different walks of life, in many ways, I felt like I didn't even somewhat fit in in America because I had such a global view of the way that the world worked. When you think about your experiences, Lars, what has helped influence that that perspective? Because your perspective is not a perspective everyone at your company or even everyone with your title shares, right? So like, what would those experiences be that helped shape that definition for you? So there are two, and one most recent. Uh, so I gave the commencement address at the University of the Bahamas, uh, the country that I'm from, which makes me uniquely different to most people. But what was really telling about that that moment, I talked about where I where I've come from. And like so many people, what I am has a lot to do with the humble beginnings. You know, I reflect often on uh, the experience I had with my grandfather, who really taught me business acumen. I started to think uh, just the other day, uh, maybe two or three months ago, what did I learn about customer service? I learned it from, from him. 
in his restaurant. What did I learn about being process-oriented? I learned from him. And he had some really whimsical things that he would ask me to do in his restaurant where I would look at him, as young people typically do, sort of cross-eyed. But I look back, I, I ref- reflect and go, wow, I mean, what an amazing opportunity to actually be exposed to that type of fundamental rigor. The other thing I would say, too, is uh, I never planned on having a family that I, the size of a family that I do. I have, there are five of us, three kids. Uh, they're all teenagers. That has really, really helped to, uh, to hone my leadership uh, ability. Uh, because with three teenagers, which you soon forget as a, as a parent, is that those, those three individuals are developing and you have to develop right alongside them. I completely forgot that. And sometimes in, in leadership and in running a company or running an aspect of a company, you, you quickly realize that you have to develop if you expect your people to and if you expect your business to. And so th- those three teenagers have been a constant reminder and it's, it's been a good, it's been beneficial for me as a dad. It's been beneficial for me as a husband because I also have to develop for the sake of my wife. Uh, and I think that's also helped my, uh, my friendships uh, in recognizing that um, at the end of the day, that development, uh, those experiences at their very base level really help to shape whatever it is that you, you seek to accomplish. Dude, I mean... I'm getting so many like greenhouse vibes right now because for you to be able to pay reverence to your grandfather and the roots and where you come from, from the Bahamas, and then like all of these different levels of branches that have sprouted from those roots, whether it's your marriage, whether it's your children, whether it's you as a leader in business, that's pretty powerful that you can even have the sense of awareness to connect that all. Steve, what are those experiences for you? I want to make sure I give you the floor to share with people, what is Shamrock and how did you even get the name? Because it's just a powerful story. It's crazy. You mentioned your grandfather. So my grandfather's my only hero. Uh, he was a Hall of Fame basketball coach and baseball coach at Division Three school in Illinois Westland. And boy, you talk about you know the teacher. He was the teacher and the motivator. So from a young age, at three, I think I started dribbling a basketball and, and swinging a golf club. But that carried on. Uh, until he passed. As an athlete, you always look at, you know, being bigger, faster, and stronger. And I always brought that into any bit that I did in the workforce, um, any job that I had, uh, even in, the, in, in scholastically. And then 21 years ago, um, I was involved in a uh, on-the-job accident that changed my whole perspective. Um, Worked at, you know, Coca-Cola or Anheuser-Busch before that and um, was crushed between two cars and went through a year of, of surgeries, about 13 in total, to become a below-the-knee amputee. And that perspective that I gained, I didn't have going through it because I didn't want to accept the injury. But shortly after uh, I became that below-the-knee amputee and started doing things again, um, getting back to shooting basketball hitting a golf ball, getting back in the workforce. That was my perspective on creating, you know, getting into the prosthetic industry, but also creating a different platform and experience for patients. So eight years ago, um, I created Shamrock Prosthetics. And the whole idea behind it was the failures that I had as a patient or the lack of experiences I had as a patient going through it, I created an environment or a experience that as a non, I'm not a prosthetist. I'm not a clinician. I don't play one on TV. Um, I employ f- five clinicians, 
but nobody addresses the mental side of things. And going through a traumatic accident, if you don't have someone that's going to be a coach for you, it can get you into some real dark places like it did for me. And what Shamrock does, it looks at a mind-body amputee care approach. So the two other, three other amputees that I have on staff, um, they're non-clinicians. We go see patients right when we get a referral from an MD that, let's say, Lars is about to have his leg amputated tomorrow. Well, his mind space is going to be worse than it probably ever, ever has been. So the only person that can really help coach that to get into a different place is someone that's already been there. And so that perspective that I received 21 years ago was the greatest gift that I've ever had in my career because I accepted it and now I'm doing something with it. So what Shamrock does is addressing that mind while the clinicians in time after Lars heals addresses the body. This concept of making sure that you're prioritizing someone's well-being particularly for someone who may be about to become an amputee, what I'm, what I'm hearing from you is like people can see someone who's been in an injury, right? Like they can see that, but you're focusing on the things that they can't see, which is that mentality, that emotional toll, that emotional labor that they may be carrying while they're trying to address the things that are seen. There's so many leaders that are going to listen to this and they're probably wondering, well, I don't work for Shamrock or I don't work in that industry of like prosthetics, yet they still have people on their teams. They still have people that they interact with every day that are struggling with things that are unseen that may also influence the way that, you know, they show up to work or the things that they talk about at work. How would you coach them? Like, what would be Steve's advice for those folks that are trying to make sure that they make the same level of difference you're doing every day? How do they do that in like a business setting or in a work setting that may be outside of your industry? I'll say it pretty pointed. Um, look beyond yourself. So many times when people get to leadership roles, they become selfish. And when you become selfish, then you don't care as much for that teammate. It's all about you. So my, my bit of advice would be, if you're looking beyond yourself, always focus on a teammate. They're, they're going to help you as you're going to help them. If you ignore your teammate, they're going to one day want to be traded or they're just going to turn in their pink slip and say, I'm out. So going back to that whole culture thing, I think caring about, we can call it people first, it's caring about that teammate. And... Yes, bring in the personal side to work is sometimes can be challenging. But if you care as an individual about them, their overall well-being, they're going to be a great teammate at the company. No matter what, if it's Shamrock, if it's 7-Eleven, no matter what it is, it could be a, a table of three people within a company. Make sure you're not the guy that's just walking around, you know, selfish. Lars, what would you add to that? Look, I mean, Steve said it very well. I, I think the biggest thing, I think you have to give people the opportunity to, to deal with their reality. I love what T.D. Jake says, uh, you get paid to manage trouble. That's actually the job of a leader. They pay you to sort through the chaos sometimes. And as it relates to an individual that might be dealing with their own share of, uh, or their own personal chaos, I think you've got to find a way to pull the valve for them. 
and say, look, you know, go ahead and take some time off. And yes, there are times we have to weigh certain business objectives and really think through the next deliverable. At the same time, though, that next deliverable is directly uh, proportional to that person's uh, well-being and the person's state of mind. And I've always been enamored by leaders that can pick up on those cues very quickly. They can pick up on that, those sensory um, notables and say, something's not right. And I've got to figure out a way to just pull the valve for this person. And it's, it's actually quite simple. It's quite simple. You know what? You've been here for X number of hours. Take the rest of the day off. Take today off. One of the things we did at Mercedes, and I would say we are as hard driving as any company, but in response to a lot of the calamity that had been, that had been created around hybrid uh, uh, work and remote work and you know us having, having to create a truce <laughs> with our employees, someone had a brilliant idea. And I thought it was, uh, I thought it was pretty simple, but I, th- I think it's pretty profound. Uh, we created something called Focus Fridays. And uh, the intent of it is for us to stop meetings recurring meetings, those normally scheduled meetings, unless someone really has a burning um, um, need, for us to cease those meetings at 2 p.m. every Friday. And on the face of it, you say, all right, well, the work still continues. But to be able to give someone margin in their day, to help them move into the weekend with at least some semblance of, of what should be happening and some overall balance so that they can pick up the, uh, the following week in the right way, the right headspace, I think is pretty powerful. Very, very simple. Very simple. And some of these concepts uh, that Steve uh, mentioned, they're pretty simple. They're also pretty hard to stay consistent at. And I think consistency uh, compounds over time, and I think employees end up appreciating it. But more importantly, you get the best out of those employees. For, for those folks that are up and coming in their careers, and they're listening to, you know, a chief human resource officer in you, Lars, and a CEO in you, Steve, and they're wondering, hey, I don't have the fancy title in front of my name. What do you tell them, Steve, to help them influence without authority? Because that's also real, right? Where they may not be in a position to go create Focus Fridays based on their stroke of the pen or their decision. But how could they help influence their leaders that may not be thinking about these things? Because I always tell people, like, every leader has obstructed views. So how do they make sure this thing surfaces, whether it's Focus Fridays or looking beyond yourself, how do they help that bubble up to the attention or the radar of the leader who, to your point, Lars, is like getting paid to deal with all the chaos, right? So I think in my career, I always overthought things. And maybe that wasn't a problem because if I, if I thought something could be done differently, I always was the researcher that kind of created, hey, here's the whole almost like a proposal. So instead of coming to Lars, if I worked for him and said, you know, I've got a problem with this. Well, you're not solutions oriented. And so the idea of coming to Lars or, or coming to, you know, a, a boss of, of whoever is listening right now, make sure you have it, something that's thought out and it might be a game changer. If it's not thought out and it's just more of a complaint or a fragmented thought, I don't think it's going to have the teeth that it could. But if you actually propose it almost, I think it will be very heard if it shows that you've really researched it and thought through it. Along the same lines, uh, Donald, I would say, be the person that's prepared to produce. If you are producing, 
you are much more influential than if you're not. I can't tell you how many employees approach me with a good idea. And I think about the source of that good idea and I go, "Mm, how good is it? Or how much do we want to listen to it? How much do we want to put this in action? Versus the person that is really a strong performer or at least is diligent and consistent in what they do, I'm much more apt to listen to that person because I know that whatever they've thought of, they've thought it through, it perhaps applies to them. And so I get greater yield out of the person and I'm much more willing to to help them. Normally those types of individuals, they are coming to you because it it's a problem that needs a solution and it's going to help them in the long run. I'm much quicker to say, that's the person I want to listen to. And that, frankly, is how influence gets done. I mean, people are usually looking, they're quite willing to be influenced by the person that adds value, is probably the best way to put it. And there's a certain level of consistency that comes with that, right? Like Correct. to your point around, if someone's consistently showing me a certain level of default habits and actions, it's easier for me to see that the value that they may be bringing to me in this idea because they brought value in the past That's as it. a producer. Totally agree with the high producers. Yeah. But what if someone's listening right now that's not a high producer that aspires to be? Yeah. I think it's still that same plan. They've yeah. got to have something that is researched, that they've thought through, because maybe they haven't gotten your attention so far, but based on what they've produced. But if they've if they're finding a different way to do something that might be more efficient that it could be more effective. Yeah, that's fair. I, no, no, I 100% agree. I mean, I, I can see the face of one of my employees now. She does a fantastic job. Um, very quiet, goes about her business. It's efficient, meets all the deadlines. Let's just say she has her work product figured out. She's never asked for anything. If she were to ask for something or, or, she, or if she made a suggestion, I can tell you 10 times out of 10, I'd listen to her because of exactly what I said. So for the person that, is not a high producer, be consistent. Just be consistent. One of those great things that my grandfather taught me, not because he told me, but because he showed me. Just be consistent about being consistent. And I think you're going to get a lot more. And it's the same thing about about leadership, same thing about companies. I mean, be consistent with what you said you're going to do. Do it and do it and do it. Even if the statistics do not play it in your favor, um, in the long run, I think you're going to get that uh, cumulative effect. Yeah, I like the I, I like the message on consistency. I, equally, though, I think Steve, what you're getting at is also important, which is it's never too late for them to change. Correct. Like if they go do the work and think it through, that even if you might not have had the label of being consistent in the past, you can still change that label that folks have for you, the the, the influence that leaders uh, grant you because you have chosen to go above and beyond to be very thoughtful in your approach. I think that's super powerful. Steve, I have to hear you. There's there's so many people that may be wondering around mentality. And it's not lost on me that the last, you know, three years have been rather hard for people navigating the pandemic, navigating losing people that they work with, people in their personal lives. And so based on where you are today, I think people may look at you and just be like, oh, successful CEO who worked at all these amazing brands. Uh, And that has helped attribute to your business acumen and you being successful. But can you talk about the mentality, particularly around the postcard? I think it's important that everybody understands the the Steve postcard story. So surgery 12, I had half a foot, we call it a transmetatarsal amputation. And I went out and I 
the previous year, there was a Hawks celebrity kind of um, basketball game they put on for sponsors and TV and media, and I ended up winning it the year before I got hurt. Fast forward, I get hurt, have half a foot, have way too much Oxycontin, and decide I'm going to play in it because my mentality is this is not going to beat me. And I wanted to see if I could play to a level that I did before, even with half a foot and stupidly on narcotics. Didn't do well, in a lot of pain, and went back, fast forward about a week later, went back to that same surgeon that did the 12 surgeries and said, I want to be a below the knee APT. I've done enough research on it. I'll be more functional than having half a foot. And he looked at me and he said, I'm not going to do it. And I was befuddled. I, I was shocked. And I, I think I started getting emotional and just walked out. But before I walked out, he said, well, I'm not going to do it because you're, if you do that, you're never going to dunk a basketball again. You won't run. And I don't know how functional you'll be. So I went to the plastic surgeon that was a part of every one of the surgeries. Said, I want to blow the knee amputation. He said, I, I was waiting for you to tell me that. That's fine. I'll do it. I'll do it next week. Sure. So seven, eight months later, had him shoot some pictures. And it was of me dunking a basketball. It was me running with a running leg as I started picking up triathlons. And me cycling on a triathlon bike with a cycling leg. So three different legs. And I put it on a postcard. It was a Christmas card, actually. And it said, I'm back in bounds. And I brought that to this surgeon and walked right by the front desk, which is normally like Fort Knox, and walked up to him. And I had pants on, so you really couldn't tell. And said, Merry Christmas. And I opened the card. So he opened it up and looked at the three pictures of me dunking a basketball, riding a triathlon bike, and running. I said, turn it over. And it said, Dr. X, obviously I won't say his name, thanks for the inspiration. And he looked, and he looked down. He goes, I don't get it. I said, well, you told me I couldn't do those three things. So when you ask about mentality, I love when people tell me I can't do things. I absolutely love it. You know, even in the industry that I'm in, I'm not a clinician. I own a prosthetic company. I've had, since we opened our doors, uh, different people say that I'm doing different things. But in truth, I'm just doing something different. So I think as the mentality for me is, every day is the direct challenge to provide an environment for patients that I didn't have. And every day is competing against other companies that have been around far longer than I have. So Shamrock is me personified. It is my story and I have the burden, but the thrill of now 22 people working at Shamrock, a second office. I have their lives in my hand and I don't take that lightly at all. So Lars has 50 zillion people at, at Mercedes that you've got in, in, in your hands. But when it's your company, I don't take it lightly at all that I have to continue to produce every day so they have jobs and we can make payroll and all that stuff. It's just something where I love competing. You lace up against any other competitors we have, just lace up the same shoes that I have. Let's compete every day. I don't like losing. So that's my mentality. There you go.
Lars, what about you? What mentality do you bring to your role? Because to your point, to Steve's point, you got 50 gazillion people over there at Mercedes. <laughs> well, I, I try not to think of all the people that I have uh, at Mercedes. One of the things I do think about, which what I love about what Steve said, I really believe there, there always someone, there's always someone or there are people counting on you. You know, and you can you can say, hey, that's kind of figurative uh, because one leader really has, legitimately has people counting on him or her and one doesn't. But I do think someone is always counting on you. And when you rise to the rank of a leader, regardless of how many people report to you, how many people you have responsibility for, there's someone that either directly counts on you or someone that is counting on your inspiration, is counting on your diligence in being, you know, a great person. As a black uh, chief HR officer, I have to remind myself that there are people who aspire, people who, who are in a minority uh, uh, category that aspire to, to do certain things that I do. Whether I think this has been easy, whether I think it, this is not that difficult, and as long as you follow XYZ plan, you can get there, there are still people that, that look up to someone like me. I have three teenagers that whether they want to admit it today or not, they are looking for an inspiration. So my morning started 5 a.m. because I remember that line, someone is counting on you. Someone somewhere is counting on you. My parents are counting on me to make them proud, to maximize the full investment of time, sacrifice, energy that they've, uh, they've made. I mean, there's so many people and I have to make good on that every day. That's the mentality that I have. And, and, and suffice it to say, I'm a guy that almost flunked out of college. 1.69 GPA in my junior year. I do not forget the importance of being consistent and, 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 and understanding the deficit that you have to make up. And that's why the mentality of someone's counting on you is so, is so easy for me to adopt. I got to say something. For you to even put that out there, um, I mean, I think you're, you're way too smart, but for you to put that out there that you had that as a, a great point just shows. Talk about being a leader. It's also being vulnerable. Yeah. It's admittance, you know, of failures. A lot of things that I've done, a lot of things I continue to do, they're probably failures. But that admittance is why you're a leader. Appreciate that. Thank you. First and foremost, I just want to say thank you for joining me in the conversation. I think there's going to be so many people that want to be a people first leader, and they're trying to figure out what are those tidbits, what are those actions, what are those takeaways that they can do to evolve their leadership. And I feel like you all just both put an amazing punctuation on it. It's okay to be different. If you see leaders in the space that you're in right now and they're moving more with a traditional mentality or they're challenging the way that you want to be different in that environment, call Steve, call Lars, call me. We're here to encourage you and you being different. And that's going to give you a competitive advantage. And every day as a leader, we need to wake up and realize that there are people counting on us, whether directly, or indirectly. And the level of responsibility that comes with that means that you have to be able to put people first. When you're making business decisions, think about the impact that it is going to have on people. Steve Lars, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been phenomenal. Thank you so much, Lars and Steve, for joining me. And thank you to all of our listeners. Please take a moment to rate and review this podcast wherever you listen. 
And if you really like what you heard, give the show a follow and share it with a friend. We'd really appreciate it. Special thanks to our production partner, Wonder Media Network. Our producer is Brittany Martinez. Our supporting producer is Sarah Schleed. And our production assistant is Lila Watts. Our greenhouse producer is Marnie Williams. Until next time. And remember, keep putting people first.